And I'm uh, so thankful that Andrew chose the previous song. Uh, he did mention that he learned it at HOS. And while uh, we were there, this camp, that was one of the songs we sang together on our, on our last night, actually. So sitting beside me were, were two boys. Uh, one was age six, one was age five. Uh, the one who was age six, Dion, was holding his stomach and singing it like this. Uh, and the one beside me, uh, Samuel, age five, was singing. Uh, and, and from what I could see, sincerely, uh, with all their soul, that they can bless uh, the Lord their God. Because they have known uh, His goodness to them. So, uh, let's pray together that as we look at Psalm 34, that's something that the Lord will also bless us uh, more deeply with. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this time together. And Father, we acknowledge that unless you are at work in us by your Spirit, all this will be in vain. So we plead with you, please speak to us, please speak through your word, please be at work in our hearts that we may see the truth of how good you are to us. Uh, that our souls may rejoice and glorify you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now my first acquaintance with Psalm 34 was through the book, Through Gates of Splendor. Now who has read that book? Through Gates of Splendor. Elizabeth added about the five missionaries who uh, were trying to reach out to... Uh, tribe in Ecuador, and they at first succeeded, but then the tribesmen speared all five of them to death. And one of the missionaries, who is the pilot, uh, one of the things recovered from his dead body was his wedding ring, and inscribed on the inside of the wedding ring, Psalm 34 verse 3, which is, Magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. And so, um, something I may have mentioned before is, apart from the Bible, one of the books that made the most impact on my life uh, is that book. Because for the first time in my young Christian life, I saw what it meant to really live for God, what it means to be a Christian and testify uh, of His goodness. And so in my own and Maria's wedding ring, we have inscribed Psalm 34 verse 3. And uh, this year happens to be 12 years of marriage. So uh, we are thankful to God and I'm thankful to uh, Maria for putting up with me. And uh, yeah, we haven't always done this, but uh, Maria, wherever you are, fighting! Right, let's keep going. Right? So uh, my great privilege to be able to think and consider this part of God's Word with you. So in your outline you see three points. Magnify. Testify, prophesy. Now we see quite clearly that David's goal is to magnify the Lord. Okay, so verses 1 to 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, isn't there something beautiful about such sincere and heartfelt praise? I mean, David's response is one who has been completely overwhelmed by the goodness of God to him. And his commitment is, 
I will bless the Lord at all times. Continually, he says, I will bless the Lord. Now, but don't you wonder, what exactly does it mean to bless the Lord? Now, I know in your version may be different, but uh, that's the better translation. That's what David is saying. I will bless the Lord. But think about it. How is it possible for a finite human being to bless God in any way? I mean, we are more familiar with the concept of God blessing us, God giving us you know, health, security, good job, good church. But how does it work the other way around? How do we bless God? So, you know, some translations try to run away from that by doing away with the word bless and translating it as extol or praise instead, but that would be to miss the point of what David is saying. Because if David wanted to say praise the Lord, he would have used the word for praise. But he didn't. He used the word blessed. Now the point is, and this is what we must try and get, okay? The point is that David is so grateful. He is so grateful, so thankful for what the Lord has done for him that he wholeheartedly wants to pour out blessing on the Lord. Now some people want to question this. They say, this doesn't make sense. How can the divine and eternal God, who is complete in and of himself. How can he be additionally blessed by humans? And my response to that is, that's not the most important question. The more important question is, when was the last time you so contemplated on and so cherished the fact of God's goodness to you that your whole hearted response is one is to want to bless him. When was the last time that happened to you? Now, if it's been a while, is it that the Lord isn't good? Or is it that we haven't stopped to wonder, to cherish the ways in which He is good? to see the evidences of His grace in our lives. Now, as we look at the first three verses, we notice there is a progression. It moves from David as an individual, expressing his commitment to bless the Lord, and it moves to calling others to do the same. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. And here again we must ask, what does it mean to magnify the Lord? What does it mean? Magnify the Lord. Well, the best explanation I've seen is uh, from John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. He gives this helpful illustration. He says you can magnify like a microscope or you can magnify like a telescope. Okay, you all know what's the difference, right? Okay, so when you magnify like a microscope, okay, so you are making something that's tiny. So maybe you're looking at a bed bug or something, you know. So you ooh, this tiny bed bug, you look at it, and because you're magnifying through a microscope, it, it makes the bed bug look, look big, you know, like a monster. Okay, but you can also magnify like a telescope. And when you're, do, when you're doing that, you're making something that is unimaginably great 
look more like what it really is. So, with our naked eye, we see, you know, slight, uh, you know, dimmer of, of, a, of a star. But when you use a telescope, you see the billion star planet that it is, the galaxy that it is. That's what it means to magnify God. That a God who is eternal and infinite. That a God who alone, okay, alone deserves the adjective awesome. Okay, the burger is not awesome. Okay, no matter how delicious it is. Okay, so in, on this trip, we learned the Indonesian for awesome. Luwah uh, biasa. Okay, so we, we must say, Alaku, luwah biasa. God is awesome. So, to magnify God is to see more clearly how awesome He is. That's what it means to magnify God. So, how? How does David propose to do that? How does he intend to magnify the Lord such that He is seen for who He really is? Okay, that's the next point. Verses 4 to 10. He, that's, that's part of the answer, 4 to 10. David intends to testify in verses 4 to 10 in order that God might be magnified. David wants to magnify God by testifying of God. Look at verse 4. I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. You see, that's David's testimony. Okay, look at verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Okay, so, you look at the heading of the psalm. It actually says, uh, David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. So, you know, remember we did this in 1 Samuel. It's uh, chapter 21. David, after he dispatched Goliath, became very popular. And so he came home, the women came out of the cities and they were chanting, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. So David has to run away from Saul as Saul gets more and more upset at David's popularity. Now the, the thing that David wants to get across is that the deliverance he experienced, that's not a once-off event. The deliverance he experienced from God he experienced it because God is the God who delivers. In other words, David's experience affirms universal truths about God. That's why he says in verse 5, Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. You see, these are truths about God and His ways that have become clarified and reinforced for David because of his experience. But notice he doesn't stop there. His testimony flows naturally into appeal. He goes from, you know, pointing. You see, this is what God is to doing this. Come, come, come and see, come and taste. That's why he says, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. You know, he's saying, don't just take my word for it. Right? I've shared my testimony, but 
but you can come and see this, you can come and experience this for yourself. David is saying. Now, if you look at verse 8, you see that there are several keywords in this verse. For example, it is the Lord, it is Yahweh, right? It is specifically this God, Yahweh, that we must come, take refuge in, who is good. It's not some other gods. It is only this God, Yahweh. He is the one and only God. But in looking at that verse, we often miss a crucial keyword. Okay, what do you think is the keyword that we often miss? It is the first word. It is the O. Oh. Now, in Hebrew, it is O. Oh, o. Oh, taste and see. Because David is not just passively going, Well, this has been my experience. And you know, if you are really free, the K-drama has ended, and you don't know what else to do with your time, then you can... You know, maybe consider coming and seeing how God, how good God is. He's not doing that. He's going, oh, come, taste and see how good He is. There is a passionate yearning. He is making an impassioned appeal. Come and see how good He is to you. So David testifies. He testifies of God in order that God might be magnified. Now in the second half of the psalm, David does something else in order that God might be magnified. And that's the third point. And that is to prophesy. Okay, be patient and I will explain. So, in order to get to that point, we need to first notice what are the sort of people that the Lord delivers. Well, we've seen a hint of it in verse 7. Who does the angel of the Lord protect? It's those who fear him. And so, not surprisingly, David says in verse 11, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And what does it mean to fear the Lord? He continues in verse 13. He gives a few examples. He says, It is to keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So, quite straightforward. He says, keep your tongue from evil. You know, speak only good things. Don't speak evil things. You know, <clears throat> keep your lips from speaking deceit. Okay, no more lies. Tell no more lies. Tell only the truth. You know, turn away from evil. You know, no more giving in to temptation. He says, do good. Love your neighbor, right? That's what he means. Uh, seek peace and pursue it. Uh, love even your mother-in-law. Right, that's what he's saying. See, uh, it is important for David to teach us the fear of the Lord. Because in these verses, David tells us that there are two groups of people in the world. There are only two groups of people in the world. And the first group, quite clearly, are the righteous. Now, the righteous is, of course, another way of speaking of the people who fear the Lord. They are one and the same group. Notice what David teaches about this group. Verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, 
and his ears toward their cry. Verse 17, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. So you see, the picture is quite clear. Right? It cannot be clearer. God is the one who delivers. That's David's experience. This is the God who delivers. And the people that he delivers are the righteous who cry out to him. Right? It's not just some Tom, Dick or Harry who gets delivered. It is the righteous, the righteous sufferer whom the Lord hears and rescues. There is a second group of people and that's described for us in verse 16. Verse 16. Now, instead of delivering them, verse 16 tells us instead, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Verse 21, Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. So this second group are the wicked, the evil ones, those who do evil. And quite clearly the verses say, these people will not experience God's deliverance. Instead, their destiny will be utter and complete destruction, condemnation. So, let me ask you, Two groups of people in the world. Which group do you belong to? Which group are you in? Okay? Hands down those who think you are in the first group. Righteous. Okay? Uh, hands up those who think you are in the second group. Wicked. Ah, okay, never mind. Don't worry about that. <coughs> okay, I'll just get you think, right? Just get you think. Just get, okay, those. Okay? So, so those, those of you who think you are in the first group, what makes you think that? What's your, what's the evidence? Where's your confidence that you are in the first group? What makes us think that we are in the first group? Now friends, we saw that in the first half of the psalm, David testified in order that God might be magnified. And now I'm suggesting to you that in this second half of the psalm, he is prophesying. He's making a prophecy in order that God might be magnified. Now, the prophecy that David makes in this psalm is picked up by John in his Gospel when he describes the death of Jesus. So if you like, uh, turn to John 19 and verse 30. But uh, keep your finger at Psalm 34, of course. John 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was a day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it 
has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Not one of his bones will be broken. Where's that from? That's from our psalm. That's from Psalm 34. That's from verse 20. And so what's happening is that when David pens these words, Psalm 34, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, God was actually using him as a prophet, using David as a prophet. And he was pointing ahead to the death of Jesus. And so the idea, the truth, that God delivers the righteous sufferer, that is given highest expression in Jesus. Jesus is the one who is truly righteous. I mean, he was the one who was truly and utterly righteous before God. And yet he suffered, he suffered and he died. And so the great question is, why did Jesus have to suffer and die if he was indeed so righteous? And the amazing, amazing good news of the Bible is that his suffering and death was for us. He suffered and died for us and in our place. Because of our sins, because of our wickedness, we are the wicked ones who deserve to be punished and be facing death. But Jesus took our sins. He took our wickedness and bore it on the cross. He paid for us so that we would not have to pay. And so from our account, from our account, God takes all our sin, takes all our rebellion and charges it to Christ's account. And we're left with a clean sheet. Okay, but that's not all. From Christ's perfect account of righteousness, God takes that and deposits into our account. So that those who trust in Christ have an account that is filled with the perfect righteousness of Christ. So remember earlier when I asked you, those of you, those of us who think that we are in a righteous group, right, where's your evidence? Where's your confidence? It must be this and only this, that our righteousness is from the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It has happened. That's my confidence. That's my evidence. His perfect righteousness has been credited to me. Because Jesus, the righteous one, suffered and died, those who trust in him are now righteous before God. Do you know what this means? You know what this means, right? It means that the truth of Psalm 34 applies to us. Those who have trusted in Jesus are now righteous because of Jesus. The truth of Psalm 34 apply to you. The Lord will hear you. The Lord will deliver you. And ultimately, verse 22 is guaranteed. Verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None, none who take refuge in Him will be condemned. 
Ah, those of us who, in experiencing and understanding what Jesus has done for us, we have even more reason, right? We have even more reason than David to praise, to exalt the Lord. Oh, we see more clearly how much we should magnify Him. We see how good He is. We've seen how good He is to us. I want to tell you a story of Janet and Scott Willis. Now, Janet and Scott Willis, while they were teenagers, devoted their lives to Christ. And after graduation, Scott became a Baptist pastor. And in their early 20s, they had three kids. But uh, nine years later, God blessed them with six more. Okay, so they got nine kids, right? Now, in November 1994, they were traveling in a van with the six younger kids. And uh, there was a truck in front of them. And a metal bracket from the truck, you know, broke off and, you know, and came bouncing towards the van that, you know, uh, the Willisters were in. Now, Scott, who was driving, he had only a split second to react. Right? I mean, he could right, either you swerve or you just try and go over it, right? So, because there was traffic, he, he decided to, to go over now, the bracket got caught under the car near the fuel tank. And, uh, you know, it was dragging along the road and sparks flew up and the car exploded. And the explosion was so, so strong, so hot, that before Scott could even pull and stop at the side, five of the younger children had already died. Now, the oldest one, oldest of the six, called Ben, uh, who was 13 at the time, died later in hospital. So Janet and Scott, they were lying in separate beds. You know, the, the nurses and, and doctors were scrambling around them. And obviously their minds were confused. They were unable to comprehend what was happening. Why, why did this happen? Uh, but in God's goodness, the Lord brought to Scott's mind the scripture that they had been memorizing as a church. Psalm 34. And so he reached out and took his wife's hand and no doubt through tears said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And Janet, hearing that, uh, as later she shared, was, was taken aback. And understandably, she you know, could not understand uh, what Scott was saying. But later on, you know, through some weeks, some time, with the support of her husband, their family, their church, and you know, because this news spread from brothers and sisters all over the world who poured in encouragement and sympathy, they found themselves, uh, after some time, in front of a news conference. And obviously everyone was trying to come to grips with such a tragedy. People were asking why. Why did this happen? And with that in mind, hand in hand with the microphone in their face, the first words they said in public together, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You see, the testimony tells us 
that when we have come to know, when we have come to experience what Jesus has done for us, even in the worst of times, there can be, by God's grace, such a profound gratitude for what He has done that our response is, I will bless Him, I will praise Him, I will magnify Him, I will boast in Him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. May God help us. Amen.